I would probably say this happened in waves. And if we're being very technical, I don't remember this, but uh, when I was still an infant, my parents took a very long kind of embarrassing 4th of July video of me lying on my back on this white carpet. And uh, you know how at that age, babies will just reflexively yeah. flex their arms. So they put an American flag in each hand and I'm lying there blank eyed waving the flags to the entire duration of Born in the USA. everyone and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and I am thrilled, as I always am when I have a new guest, but especially I have a writer, I have a Springsteen fan, I have a Stephen King fan, and if you think, how can you combine Stephen King and Bruce Springsteen, boy, are you going to be surprised. Amanda Lear, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. So for those to introduce you, give us your uh, elevator pitch. Oh, well, fortunately, it is a very short pitch at this time, as I have been kind of changing careers. So in my earlier life, I had been mostly teaching. I'm kind of coming out of academia. Now I am continuing to teach in a more uh, quiet capacity, but uh, I'm a writer and currently I'm focused on just trying to make people laugh. Yeah, uh, I do um, McSweeney, uh, right? Yeah, and, I'm a and, frequent contributor. Yeah, and that's that's pretty neat. I did notice when I was, um, when I Googled you, it did show up this academic and I was like, I, I wonder <laughs> if this is the same person. Uh, what were you teaching? So my background is in English Lit and in terms of my own research interests, I hung out in the 17th century, but okay. uh, in terms of what I worked with with students, a lot of intro to poetry and intro to drama, and I loved it. Oh, that does sound interesting. Um, I, I I always think that um, poetry is something that I've somehow missed out on, um, I, unless you count, which most of us do, the, the works of Bruce Springsteen and Bob I Dylan. was absolutely you know, it, going to say that, yeah. yes. Uh, but what you would consider classic poetry um, is something that I go, that's that's a, we had an article, we had a discussion about some of us podcast that we talked about our nerd blind spots. And for example, <laughs> I've watched very few of the X-Files. You know, mm -hmm. and people are like, oh, man, Jesse, you've got to see the X-Files. And other people were like, I've never watched the Lord of the Rings movies. I'm like, oh, wow, you can't. So literary blind spot for me is I have not done as much poetry as I want. So I would probably be someone who would have loved taking your class and said, oh, okay. Because, I, you know, I've loved reader. I've always been a big reader and, and mostly... <clears throat> mostly science fiction and fantasy and mysteries, but, you know, I love the novels of Pat Conroy and, and, mm. you know, and, you know, uh, I've done a fair amount of other, you know, modern, uh, literature. So classic literature and poetry would have been something I would have enjoyed. 
And honestly, like I'm, I'm a sci-fi fantasy fan as well. And uh, when you're trying to teach, let's say older works or classic works, you know, historically farther back, the harder the initial entry can be. And I think that for new students, the best analog can be say, all right, you're not familiar with this particular Shakespeare play, but you were not familiar with Middle Earth or uh, with Narnia when you started those books either and you figured the rules out. So you're gonna treat this even if it's historical, like sci-fi or fantasy, let's focus on immersion. Let's try to figure out what the rules of the world are and you just go from there. That's a that's a really interesting thought. Like. Um... In high school, I adored Isaac Asimov. Mm. That's just truly one of my, it's still one of my favorite writers. And, you know, in the Foundation series, he blatantly said it was based on the fall of the Roman Empire and, you know, a lot of that work. And he, so I do think that's interesting. And um, uh, Forbidden Planet is mm-hmm. blatantly a ripoff of, you know, a Shakespeare play. So, yeah, I, I could see that where that would be interesting. Yeah, good. Uh, why'd you decide to quit teaching? Oh, uh, well, you know, I am still teaching, but okay. in terms of why we left academia, uh, I'm, I'm in a, at the time I, uh, I married somebody else who was an academic. Okay. And if you want to have control over your life or where you live in any capacity, it's not a great field to be in right now. So we oh, decided that we wanted to use our skills elsewhere. Okay. So uh, sometimes I do miss the full classroom experience, but especially during the pandemic, uh, it ended up being a bit of a mercy. And I am grateful that I still am able to have the kind of contact of switching over to say one-on-one tutoring because I like to have conversations and it feels good to be able to tailor what you're doing to somebody's specific interests and needs. Yeah. Would, well, how are you doing during the pandemic? Uh, You know, let's catch up. You guys, uh, I, as a writer, I assume you're comfortable working from home. Uh, How about your partner? Yeah. So, I mean, I had been pretty much set up from home since we moved to New York in mid 2019. So this was already kind of my routine perversely. And uh, my partner's working from home now as well. Uh, We're very lucky to be able to have that option available to us. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we've been pretty much, uh, (laughs) <laughs> in this room this is the world for, yes. yeah this is about yeah. it how about yeah. you uh so pretty good i live in texas where mm-hmm. it's um we are recently going through a a minor um crisis the um you know our governor just opened up everything and, and told people hey you don't have to i've gotten rid of the statewide mask mandate yet um, businesses still have the right to ask you, which I think is CS after I told you not to cuss, uh, <laughs> you know, that, you know, you now have pushed it on these poor, you know, exactly. small independent, you know, um, convenience stores or, you know, restaurants. And, you know, I've gone, uh, we last March, 
of 2020, we shut down our office. I was, I do roadside assistance. Mm. I manage a team. And so that was considered uh, vital. Uh, so we spent all of, most of March, all of April and uh, half of May working from home. And then we went back in the office, tried to be as protocol safe as we can. There was someone at the front door, our office manager, and every morning she took our temperature, asked, you know, have you been exposed to COVID? Have you had an unusual cough or uh, difficulty breathing? And have you had a temperature in the last, you know, 24 hours? And mm -hmm. if you said, no, 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 um, you could have come in the building. And we, anytime we're not at our desk, we wear a mask. And uh, so we've been doing that over a year. So in a lot of ways, Amanda, my life is pretty normal. I wake up, I get in the car, I drive to work, um, you know, I work and then I drive home. Uh, and we've gone to a couple of restaurants and we went a couple of weekends ago and all of a sudden it was packed. I mean, there was not a empty table in the place. Wow. And my wife and I and my son were all looking at each other like, Ooh, okay. Mm. Uh, now on the plus side, um, you know, everyone who got up from their table wore a mask and to walk to the restroom or, to leave or enter all the wait staff kept masks on so uh I, I just don't know but I did go I met a buddy for lunch and we went into a small little restaurant there was no one in there so it was mm -hmm. very safe but yeah the waitress was like oh I'm so happy I don't have to wear a mask anymore and it's just like oh <laughs> um so I but I did get my first COVID shot a couple weeks Congratulations. ago. Congratulations. Thank you. And I'm scheduled on the first to get my next. We're recording this toward the end of March. So uh, my wife's gotten her first shot. So, you know, we're slowly marching where we're going to hopefully get back to normal. And the, the fun story, Amanda, is after I got my first shot, we're sitting there and at the evening and Linda's like, okay, now it's your, your first shot. Um, what are you, what are you excited? What would you feel comfortable going to do once you get your mm -hmm. second one? And she, and she says, and I know you would go to a Bruce show, whether you'd gotten. <laughs> and I said, yes, luckily Bruce is smarter than I am and he's not touring, but uh, yeah, I said, I'm still kind of, even though I've gotten my shot, I'm still a little skeptical about going to a baseball game or, mm -hmm. you know, a sports activity, but I do hope one day soon we get to go back to a little bit of live music. Yeah. We're getting closer and closer to that threshold. Yeah. And it's been a while since I've seen live music in any official capacity, but uh, about a month ago uh, we went out for just our afternoon walk. So we don't, yeah. Chew our, chew our feet off. Exactly. But, and there was a man who was giving a, you know, kind of front step performance. He, he was an opera singer and was just going through some standards and the neighborhood had gathered, there were cars pulling over on the, and, and just this just quiet little moment of community got a little emotional about it. Oh, I'm getting emotional just hearing. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that, that almost sounds like a corny scene like in a movie but the reality I know, is but oh, that just sounded it magical. was really special oh I bet that that's very cool so I always like to go to the beginning we're going to talk more about your writing but where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to 
Sure. So I was very technically born in the suburbs of DC, like over on the Maryland side. But uh, as far as my memory goes, I grew up in St. Louis. My family had lived there since I was about three. Okay. And in terms of my parents' musical tastes, I think I ended up inheriting quite a lot from them. Okay. I didn't necessarily take on everything that especially my dad would listen to routinely, but from him, uh, I latched on to The Who, The Clash, and The Ramones. And then on my mom's side, I owe her for Springsteen and Tracy Chapman. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I see a lot of thematic crossover between the two of them as well. Yeah, that's 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 cool. Um, did that's not a lot to rebel from, you know? Because I always ask about right? the question, like, <laughs> like usually, you know, um, my parents were really strong into country music and early fifty rock and roll. My mom loved Bobby Darin and Fats Domino, mm-hmm. but they both loved Johnny Cash and Glenn Campbell <laughs> and all this stuff. So, you know, in high school. You know, I, I discovered Kiss and then Queen and Elton John, but you know, it's hard to rebel against the Ramones. I know. Flash, right? like, I was okay. a very boring teen in that yeah, capacity. I, I yeah, there was not a lot of places to go from there. Yeah, it's like, oh, I guess you could have gone to, you know, um, you know, I, 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 I love Tony Bennett, or you know, or like, you know, you could have, you know, that like, hey, um, so as a second generation, it's, it may be hard for you to spot, but can you remember when you first discovered Bruce and what about him spoke to you when you became, you just knew him, but then you became a fan maybe? Hmm. So I would probably say this happened in waves. And if we're being very technical, I don't remember this, but uh, when I was still an infant, my parents took a very long kind of embarrassing 4th of July video of me lying on my back on this white carpet. And uh, you know how at that age, babies will just reflexively flex their arms. So they put an American flag in each hand and I'm lying there blank eyed, waving the flags to the entire duration of born in the USA. (laughs) So if we're going back to the beginning, I guess that is it, but in terms of when it started to get me consciously, I think my first memories of Bruce, uh, it's funny because uh, so much of his music is about cars and driving. And I think of sitting in my mom's passenger seat with the window down and the kind of accompanying feeling that goes with that. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I can imagine that. as you develop your love of literature and love of writing, did did your fandom go to a different degree, a different level? That's a great question. And I think it did because uh, my music tastes now could, I mean, we all probably think that we're eclectic, but uh I think that the only governing logic of things that I like is that they can tell a good story sure. in addition to being vocally distinctive. Yeah. And that was one of the things about Bruce that I latched onto immediately. And I also think as uh, a bit of a, a tomboy of sorts growing up, I there was something about his self-presentation that resonated with me. Mm-hmm. 
I liked the kind of stripped down jeans and bandana and the swagger. It's not something that I could pull off, but I could admire it from a distance. Yeah. It's interesting. Bella Poring is um, also from the New York area. Mm-hmm. And um, she, she did a whole series of, she's been on the podcast multiple times, but she uh, did one of, um, in some circles, Springsteen is a lesbian icon. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> and that she actually did a series where she she ranked his most gayest songs. And well, I'm going to be looking that up immediately after this yeah, conversation. Because yeah, <laughs> it was such a great, it was such a great article. And to talk about that, yeah. Um, and, and it is kind of funny. We... Um, and, I, and I've had a rabbi on who talks mm. about Bruce's influence in the Jewish community, mm. you know, and then you talk about with veterans, how in a lot of ways, despite him not serving in Vietnam, he's been incredibly influential in helping the veterans, modern veterans work. And, you know, for a, for a white lower middle-class white guy, it's amazing the diversity of, you know, I think he would say the only thing he regrets is the, I think the African-American community, he would have liked to have been a stronger influence in that. And he's talked about that in his interviews and how they wished. And that's why the Super Bowl was important to him because he was playing to everyone then. That's, Mm. that's good. Um, You, uh, I always like to preface this question, Amanda, with, um, the amount of times you've seen him is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. Um, I think too many, not too many, but there are a few select, you know, fans that kind of wear that as an honor and Mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, but for just the record, have you seen him live? And if so, how many times? I have once. So it was his, I was in Nashville for grad school and for my early teaching career. So in 2014, he came to the, Bridgestone Arena. I was at that show. You, you're kidding. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't need to tell you it was incredible. Then it was. Well, it was a incredible yeah. show. My only small, and this is because I'm greedy. Uh-huh. Uh, my <laughs> very first time I saw him was in Dallas, and Don Henley was living in Dallas. I think he still does. But Don Henley from the Eagles joined him on stage for an encore, and they did "I Fought the Law." Oh wow! And I was like. How cool is this? That's so, hard to talk. So I was in Nashville thinking, it's freaking Nashville. Who's going to join him at the end of the show? Like, there's got to be someone in town, right? And it was an amazing show. I'm not complaining, but I was like, a, <laughs> just one percent of me because I'm a greedy SOP. <laughs> you know, um, could Loretta Lynn or you know, or mm-hmm. Brad Paisley or someone have been there? Yes, um, we got uh, Burning Love and satisfaction and just a really a great show and i i didn't realize it was the first born in the usa since 2009 yeah i was yeah i was just checking out set list this morning so that was a surprise to me yes and i also just want to um give a shout out to the friend who got me in the door of that concert so i um I was living with uh, two other women in my grad program in, in Nashville and uh, both, I'm incredibly close to both of them. One of them was 
dating a guy from Glasgow who is now her husband. Oh, he's in the US. Yes, but uh but her her husband uh in some ways I think that there's a lot of cultural resonance between a kind of industrial city like Glasgow and Jersey. So he grew up being a huge Springsteen fan. And uh somehow I kind of came to the proclaimers independently before we met each other so we joked about being musical exchange students in oh, a way yeah, that's cool yeah. like, that is yeah. true yeah but uh he for as as a gift he sent you know his future wife two tickets to see Springsteen and since he couldn't be there being on the other side of the Atlantic said take a friend and that I got in the door I was the substitute boyfriend for the night yeah, well, you know, you are kind of the exchange student, so that's kind of cool. Right. That's great. Um, and was there a lot of buildup on that first show? I mean, because you had been a fan for so long, and it sounds like you weren't disappointed. Oh, no, no. And I don't think that I got particularly in my head about it in advance. Right. I was just excited to be there. That's great. That's good. Um, what about, I'm going to change, mm-hmm. be changing subject. Um, what about literature and poetry led you to that when you were studying? What, why did that speak to you? Mm. So in terms of why, why, why you poetry wanted to study that or either one, why, you know, why you wanted to study that and did you always want to be a teacher? Mm. I think that that was something that I was starting to lean towards when I was in early college. It's not something that I always knew and wanted from when I was very young, but uh, I always loved the material. I mean, I read voraciously from the time I was very small, but I think that when it comes to doing my own scholarship, for instance, one of the things that I love about poetry is how all of the individual words are so heavily weighted. I think that the best, I like the best song lyrics for the same reason that there is this kind of economy. So you have to pick the perfect word to express or elicit that feeling that you're going for. So I just appreciate the precision and the kind of play yeah, you know, it is every once in a while, um, there's earlier versions and we're going to get to Thunder Road. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's how I end every show. So, um, but there's early versions of, you know, Wings for Wheels and you, you, you hear it and you go, that's just not right. Mm. You can see he was still tweaking on it and working on it. And, um, and you are I, I'm a big fan of hearing people like Aaron Sorkin and, and other script writers talk about the process of writing, um, even other writers. I've had authors on the show, and like sometimes you gain by re- taking out, right? And that, <laughs> that, that, you know, they always say you have to, you know, you, you sometimes have to kill your favorite jokes when you're writing a script, because even though you're in love with that joke, it's not serving the narrative. So I could see that, uh, especially in poetry that I want to, what is exactly the right word to use to do this emotion I want to share? 
Yeah, and I think, and this is getting over to Stephen King a little bit. One of the things, yeah, that I really like about his book on writing and that sometimes I would would give that to students in intro composition courses is that he refers to uh, kind of tools of craft as a toolbox. And it's not necessarily that there's one specific writerly way to do things. It's tactical. You have different tools at your disposal, so you should know what you can do with them, and then you make choices accordingly. So sometimes it's not just there's one kind of platonic word, which is the secret thing you have to figure out, but you have to consider uh, if you're going between two words, they will accomplish slightly different things. What do you gain and what do you lose in that trade-off? Yeah, in, in business, I, I've been working in contact centers uh, long enough that they used to be called call centers, mm-hmm. and because that's all we did was answer the phone. And, I didn't know it'd been changed to contact centers. Yes, and so um, you know, and, and, it, and this is a cliche, but the reality is, if if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Absolutely. Right? And so I think hearing that I think the same thing for writing if you aren't careful you're going to think every problem in your narrative is a nail and so therefore you're going to use your hammer but you have to realize Mm -hmm. you have other methods and tools um have you always been a Stephen King fan I actually came to that relatively late I I uh consider myself to be very much a horror fan now and I think that I have been one for a longer time than I acknowledged, but it just happened that when, uh, when I was, you know, in my teens or so, some of the most kind of like prevailing popular veins of horror that were going into theaters were things like, uh, you know, Hostel, which is just tonally was not my thing. And I thought it represented the entire genre. It had a very flattened impression of what it encompassed. And uh, so, all of the um, all of the horror inflected reading and viewing that I did on my own time, I liked those things very much. I didn't know I was a horror fan until relatively later. <laughs> so I think I started reading King for the first time in late college, early grad school. Okay, yeah. what's interesting is, uh, at least I hope it's interesting to the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of my crutch phrases. I was not a horror fan at all. In fact, did not, did not watch horror films, did not like scary films. Um, and a good friend of mine who adored Stephen King mm. and Halloween and all these things said, um, I've bought you a Stephen King book. I want you to read it. And I'm like, Dave, I, you know. <laughs> how dare you? Yeah. And he says like, and he handed me the dead zone mm. and he says, I want you to read this. And I was sold. I mean, that was, you know, how born in the USA is some people's gateway Springsteen CD right. or album dead zone was my Stephen King, you know, entry point it, it because I was so fascinated by that story. So in love with Johnny's narrative and the sadness of it, yet at the mm-hmm. same time, you know, that I then became a fan. And of course I love the Green Mile and I, and there's all kinds of things, even diversity of like Dolores Claiborne and, and you know, and mm-hmm. all these other, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I love all of this stuff and I love the stand, but that dead zone in a lot of ways to me is just the perfect, you know, story 
which was very timely during this last administration. It was kind of scary how timing was. Yeah. And it's so funny that you say that because I think that uh, it may have only gotten one entry in the article, but going on vibes alone, I think that having read the dead zone was one of the first things that really made the Bruce King connection coalesce for me. Mm -hmm. So the reason I'm inviting Amanda, I'm glad, and I'm, I'm going to figure out an excuse to have you on again because I'm loving this, <laughs> is you published a quiz that basically, is this Stephen King or is this Bruce Springsteen? Talk to me how you came up with the idea and walk me through that process. Well, uh, I think that for one, when... When we do these either or quizzes on on McSweeney's, I think they're often a little disingenuous. And the joke is that all of them are both, except maybe one or two. So uh, there was a content call for Bruce Springsteen's birthday. And I'm like, okay, this is something that I would very much like to try. And again, as my mother's daughter, I feel obligated to give this a good shot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think that it maybe started with me remembering how many Marys, ambient Marys there mm-hmm. are in both texts. It, uh, Like I said before, I have a pretty good memory. I don't have the encyclopedic memory of Springsteen lyrics that again, uh, genetically skipped me, but uh, I just had a very strong, I'd say intuitive sense of connection between the two of them in part based on their kind of affinity for the Gothic, their deep sense of place and being tied to place in its history. And then also, uh, I think that they both share a very earnest human investment in common people. And even though, you know, in in a given Springsteen song or a Stephen King novel, you're not guaranteed a happy ending, but you get a sense that the creator generally wants these people to be content in their lives and fulfilled and safe. And when that doesn't happen, even when that happens because of a poor decision or a personal flaw, that loss is mourned. You know, Amanda, the moment I saw this, um, and I think I sent you the link to his episode, but mm-hmm. Ron Martz, who is, you know, <laughs> one of a, amazing comic writer and, you know, he had written an article about how Bruce Springsteen helped him be a better writer. And when he was on the podcast, he told the story that his college girlfriend were huge, was a huge Stephen King, mm-hmm. huge Bruce Springsteen fan, and he didn't care for either one. And now then <laughs> he very much says they are his main influences in his writing style. Um, so I immediately sent him the quiz. Um, so I, I'm going to just go through top five and I'm going to tell you what my thoughts were. Mm-hmm. You take Mary out for a nice drive, disaster ensures. So I'm like, okay, well, that's got to be Bruce. And I go, bit by bit, this town is killing you. Well, that sounds <laughs> okay. like Bruce, too. Two remorseless killers careen across a desert state, leaving a trail of destruction in their wake. I said, okay, well, there's Nebraska. 
<laughs> you know, you need to see Janie around because she's gone now. Okay, well, Janie's been and is. And then number five, your clothes don't fit you anymore. You feel like you're shrinking. And I go, wait a minute, that's thinner. Mm-hmm. That's Streets of Philadelphia. And, and all of a sudden clicked, wait a minute, let me go. And, and I had never seen the website, so I didn't know. I truly was thinking this was a quiz, not for both. And then oh, that you, brings me so much joy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay, they, you know, so I'm like, oh my goodness, wait a minute. And so then I started thinking, um, and I, I'm like, you know, Wendy let me in. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's, and then you start putting these together. Um, it is, I'm like, oh my good, how did you find this subset? And the cleverness of writing the quiz in such a way to make it that is either a Stephen Singh, a Stephen King song, a story, or a Bruce, you know, song. I, I just think this this was I was so impressed with you, and that's why I immediately like, hey Amanda, I host a podcast. Would you want to talk to me? So was this I know this had to have been difficult, but talk to me about, you know, kind of the process of, okay, how do I do this? And were you thinking of questions? Were you thinking of stories? What's your, the process of doing this? Well, I think that maybe I had a couple of things in mind and just because uh, like on a lyric level, yeah, I, I knew Streets of Philadelphia really well and I had, yeah. okay, that and Thinner came together yeah. really quickly yes. or uh, the animal struck on the highway, like our pet cemetery. That yeah. seemed, so just having a couple in a row, I'm like, I wonder how far I can go with this. Mm-hmm. And being somebody who was a, a researcher, I started with, um, sometimes I was able to search by thematics. It seemed like they'd overlap. Sometimes I took a particular name and it's like, I feel like they both call someone Janie. Let me check. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a lot of intuition then backed up by uh, dedicated internet searching. Sure. And I feel like within a couple hours, I had the equivalent of the wall of pushpins connected by string. But yes. <laughs> it just became it just became a game. And I was surprised as you are, how many things that I was finding the longer I searched, but I just, I just had to stop after a point because they're not going to publish like, you know, a 50 item list, but I just want to see how far it went. So, um, 22 on the list is you've been contemplating that old Buick Buick for over 30 years. And you're like, that is so genius. The idea, because that is part of my hometown is thinking mm-hmm. about that. You know, I'm thinking about that, the common, you know, thinking, but then also with Christine and, you know, that it, it is, I would not have made that connection. Like if you said, Hey, Jesse, connect Christine and my hometown. I'm like, Oh, okay. I don't, you know, I don't know if I would have done that connected the dots. And I mean, I think that sometimes I did have to get a little, uh, playful meaning wise like for instance uh 
29, you hope fast cars will allow you to leave misery behind. You are sorely mistaken. Mm-hmm. I couldn't resist the play, but uh, since uh, Paul Sheldon and Misery had written Fast Cars yeah. as his book when he tried to move on from the Misery Chastain series and, mm-hmm. you know, Bruce's all about the open road. Yeah. It's not the same story, but it's close enough that it made me laugh. And yeah. I felt like it belonged. Yeah. Um, it is, it is amazing. And, and if you guys have not seen it, please go. It, it came out on September, uh, 21st, 2020. Um, it is on McSweeney's. It's the easiest thing to do is go Bruce Springsteen and Stephen King and Google, and it will pop up right away. <laughs> so what else are you writing on it? Or we'll talk about other things you're really proud of that you've done and what are your future plans on writing? Mm. So, I mean, for, in terms of future plans, this is something that I'm trying to figure out okay. as I go to an extent. So yeah. in terms of what's appearing publicly, I do a lot of short, tor- short form humor because yeah. it's something that I can see an idea. I can complete it relatively quickly and then get it out there into the world. And when I get a chance to collaborate with somebody else, uh, writing can be a lonely job that yeah collaboration can make it even better. In terms of what I am working on, on a longer scale, I uh, am currently learning how to screenwrite, which although I have been uh, doing some form of writing or teaching writing professionally for quite some time now, I feel like I'm learning how to walk again. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's in an exciting way. It's humbling and it's exciting. And uh, I can't give a lot of details now at this juncture, but I have my first long form essay coming out uh, in a way people will be able to see it this May. So more details will become available down the road. But for people who are horror fans, if you want to keep an eye out for it, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Yes, I absolutely. And uh, you're always welcome to come back and promote it. So yeah, Thank uh, you. yeah, yeah. I'd love that. Um, I did love absolutely uh, around Valentine's Day. You did fi- fictional men review their made-to-order girlfriends, um, and I thought it was very clever. Um, the one that especially I loved was the product Bell user, the Beast, and ordered on a whim. Thought she'd be good for more, but I ended up less hot than how I started, and now I have no furniture. Zero stars. <laughs> I think talk about destroying the. Uh, happily ever after of a Walt Disney movie. It was absolutely beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the most personal thing I've done lately actually just came out a couple days ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, My newest anxiety dream where I am blocking the Suez Canal. (laughs) So uh, I I wish that wasn't so autobiographical, but I'm glad I was able to take that cold sweat feeling and put it somewhere. Yeah, because... I think in a lot of ways we're all stuck and we're mm-hmm. all feeling about what to do. Um, where else can we find your work besides McSweeney's? Where uh, others you, you're doing, you said you're doing mostly short kind of uh, mm-hmm. satire and you know, other, other places where we can go to find your work. 
Uh, well, I have a lot of them listed in my in my Twitter bio. So okay. if, if you also if you're just looking for great publications to read, Widget, the online magazine, uh, a lot of hilarious people writing for them, and the editorial team is outstanding. Okay. Same for uh, the Belladonna, which mostly focuses on writing by women and non-binary folks. Okay. Uh, I one website that I love dearly and wish it got more press is the niche build is I believe a website for 12 people okay. and I've had the pleasure of publishing uh, one piece for them a similar pushpin and string feeling okay. as the as the Springsteen King article but it's more in depth looking at the different iterations of Mrs. Danvers the stern housekeeper from Rebecca and assessing okay. whether or not she is indeed hot. Okay. All right. Yeah. I just, I, I just pulled that side up. So I will look at her. <laughs> uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, so it's at AM underscore Lair. Okay. And there you are. Yep. Absolutely. Cool. Um, so Going back, you've you've been to one show. Let's go to back to Bruce mm -hmm. a little bit. Are, are there songs that you, because of a bond with your mom or because of your personal life, that mean a great deal to you that you kind of hold in a special place in your heart? Mm. That's a wonderful question. And I'd say that the songs that I associate with my mom more likely to come off of, you know, Born in the USA. Sure. But uh, I think that in terms of songs that just kind of twinge something yes. in me when I hear them, I'd say Streets of Philadelphia, Hungry Heart, and I'm on Fire, okay. the Lonely Ones. Yeah. They're all lonely ones to an extent, but yes. those three in particular. There, there is that in there. Um, any thoughts on uh, Letter to You? Hmm? Any thoughts on Letter to You, his latest release? I don't have a lot of developed thoughts at this time. Okay. So. Still thinking. Still, <laughs> I'm still, still thinking. I'm working I, on it. I understand. That's very different. That's good. Um, so what have I not asked you that I should have? Hmm. So uh, in terms of. I just want to make sure you have a chance to tell a good story. Like you, you and Stephen King met for coffee once and I forgot. I wish. To ask, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want me to tell a story on my mom's behalf, yes. I called her yesterday okay. to ask how she got into Springsteen to uh, make sure I got the details right. Okay, so please. The reason why she is such a diehard fan. So I, I actually got to learn some details uh, of this and I'm really grateful for you for sparking that conversation. Yay. And I knew this all went back to college for her, but uh, she grew up in kind of the mountains in Virginia, Roanoke. Uh, and she told me that the first time Bruce Springsteen came on their radar, it was 1975 when he was on the Time and Newsweek covers and they were all 
wondering who is this guy? They put on his music and said, ew. So like, she and her brothers just kind of looked at each other and said, why does his voice sound like that? It's like he's strangling a cat. They just didn't get it. <laughs> but then like a little more time passed and she went to college in Bucknell. So a lot of students from Jersey, a lot of students from New York. And it was like an immersion program in Springsteen, being around the music all the time and just the level of popular reverence for what he did and what he represented. So uh, she said that she began to realize after a point, not only does she know all the words to every song and not only does she realize that she's been seeking out deeper and deeper cuts that you weren't hearing on the radio anymore, but uh, she described her reaction to his music as an immediate feeling or dopamine hit of, I suppose it's almost like uh, preemptive nostalgia mm -hmm. <laughs> where not quite enough time has passed, but you know that this is gonna be important to you later and you know that this is gonna be the soundtrack to this part of your life. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's wonderful. So. Her roommate uh, in college, Terry, was a native of the Jersey Shore. Okay. So, I mean, got an immediate in there. And so she heard all the lore from her that, for instance, if, and I, I took this down to make sure I got it right, if Southside Johnny and the Asbury Dukes played the Stone Pony, and if you showed up late enough, he's probably going to come on stage and jam. So it's almost like the secret menu of yes, when he might exactly. make appearances. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So she uh, went to go stay with Terry for a summer and work in a law office and got this, you know, real bond with kind of working class, normal Jersey Shore neighborhoods and the boardwalks after they turn off for the season while she was living with her. But they went out almost every night, never saw Bruce once. Oh. that entire summer yes. and they would always be running into people saying oh it was right after you left or oh you came here the day before so we just had misconnection after misconnection after misconnection and she tells me that when she finally got to see him this part I didn't know she was in graduate school at the University of North Carolina and Bruce was going to play Greensboro so I think this is about 85 or so. And uh, my grandparents, who are not snobs by any metric, but this was just very much not their scene. The only yeah. live music I remember them going to is opera, which okay. I also love. Sure. But uh, they stood in this, you know, spiraling long line at a department store to get Springsteen tickets for her to make sure she could go to the Greensboro show. Oh, how fun. And called her about it. I mean, of course, she was absolutely thrilled. And they said, okay, we got a group of about six or so. Find some people to go with you. And after she hung up the phone, five minutes passed. There was a knock at her front door. She opened the door. Her downstairs neighbor, who she didn't really know, was standing there. And he just said, you got Springsteen tickets? He'd been listening through the floor and then came up immediately to try to get a couple. And 
mean, the good natured person she is, she actually, you know, sold him two and said, I'll bring four friends. But how oh, oh, funny. Uh, I love that story. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that killed me. And I feel like I I have to thank you for that. I'd never heard that before. Oh, that's a great story. <laughs> you know, as you're telling me the story, I'm, I'm going back and I just pulled it up. Right. Um, the very beginning of Backstreets is one soft infested summer, me and Terry became friends, trying in vain to breathe the fire we were born in, catching oh rides God. to the outskirts, trying faith between our teeth, sleeping in that old abandoned beach house, getting wasted in the heat, hiding on the back streets. I, I just, I was like, oh wow. my goodness, yeah. Uh, that, and by the way, that is one of the, um, the gay icons is a lot of people mm-hmm. believe that Terry, um, it, you could use the the gender neutral, uh, so it could be either one. Uh, that is a wonderful story. Tell your mom I appreciate it so much, and I'm I'm thrilled that she shared it with you and you shared it with me. So oh, well, I feel like I just got to thank you so much. I'm giving her a call right after this. Oh, and, good, uh, good. I've just I feel like I've just gotten a new push pin and a new piece of string. Yes, absolutely. All right. Before I let you go, and by the way, welcome anytime. If you, if, you. if you're laying in bed at night and you go, hey, you know, um, I just connected to a poem to a Springsteen lyric and who would I, who would care? You could, Hey, (laughs) Jesse, let me come on and let me talk to you how I've connected, you know, um, some kind of, or um, some kind of 17th century literature to a Springsteen song and we'll make an episode out of it. It's funny that you mentioned that because when I was looking up Thunder Road for the yeah. rereading it, there were a couple lines where yeah. I'm like, this is Andrew Marvell's to a coy mis- to his coy mistress. So oh, okay. uh, it's already there. All right. So good. Let's book that in advance. Let's talk about that. But yes, <laughs> I do have to ask you the Mary question. Uh, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher in the Philadelphia area. He just recently mm-hmm. retired, but every year, his seniors, he would take two days out of the school year and they would take Thunder Road and they break it down, uh, often comparing it to Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken, mm. um, the ear, the lyrics, the, you know, the whole themes of, you know, to choose something means you're, you're giving something up mm. and he goes into all this and at the end of it, he asks his class, does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? So Amanda, that's your question. Does Mary get in the car? I just am, I'm admiring that for a moment as a teaching exercise. So when I was thinking about this, I think one of the advantages, or we might just say uh, kind of enriching factors with music is for a poem, you have to make inferences based on the words on the page. But with music, there's this other layer of you know, the kind of chords and sounds and whether they're, whether what it seems to be seen, being said on the surface actually matches uh, what seems to be implied by the music. So I think that one of the things that is so fascinating about Thunder Road is that if you are going purely on a lyrical level, the turn to talking about these kind of spectral boys being abandoned by her at the very end seems so 
sinister as a kind of path to resolution, but uh, it sets up the drama of the question and the way the horns come in at the end, it's hard for me to imagine that not being her getting in the car or at the very least, if she's not getting in the car, uh, he seems to have had some sort of epiphany that makes that okay. So you were the second person that has said similar to this. Um, I had a guy join me and he said, it depends. He said, when it's the full E Street Band and mm. the song ends with the triumphant sax solo and the band, they are definitely, she got in the car and they're mm -hmm. driving off together. He said, when Bruce does it solo, and he kind of, huh, nah, 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 mm. you know, kind of plays the hums and things. She doesn't get in the car. And that's the, our narrator driving away by himself. Mm -hmm. That feels right. Yeah. I And I really did think that was a really insightful thought. And I agree with you. Um, and no one's brought this up before, but it is, you know, there is... Born in the USA, Bruce could have released the blues version, but he chose the triumphant anthem mm. version to send mm. that mixed message, right? That, that yes, this is a, everything that's gone wrong about America, but posed as this triumphant that people were playing outside the hospital when, when President Trump was in there, right? Like, and, and our joke was, have they never heard the song? Like, like it always what, seems that way. <laughs> yeah, so like what you know, like yeah, as a Springsteen fan, but it does not belong on a firework display. You know, it just it. So that's oh, even as a baby, I looked uncomfortable. Oh, I bet you're. I know, <laughs> though. I do. I now think that um, every um, if if uh, unfortunately, I would be the horrible parent that any time uh, someone of your date came over that had been any time at all, like hey. You know how long Amanda's been a Springsteen fan? <laughs> like this this is when I say, thank God it was on VHS. I'm sure yes. it's degraded by now. Yes. I do. I do want to see that now. I, that, <laughs> that is awesome. That is great. Maybe uh, you shouldn't call my mom. Yeah. No, no, no. Amanda, <laughs> this has been so much fun. And I am, I am not, I'm not kidding. Anytime you want to join me. And I now I'm curious to hear um uh, this story and everything i will send you when we finish uh, bex goss was on the show and she comes from an academic background and she skewered thunder road as basically a murder mystery and then if if, <laughs> if mary got in the car he was going to kill her i mean he's just fascinating said, oh, oh yeah i will send you her notes and she was afraid to tell me like, and I'm like, no, 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 this is great. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, you know, I said, just because I don't agree with that. I think that's a great version. So I'll send you her notes. They're hilarious. Uh, you've already given your Twitter handle, but please share again. How can people reach you? How can they reach your work? And, um, you know, if they want to tell you how fabulous you are. Well, that's very nice of them. I would say uh, best way to find me is usually on Twitter. So it's at am underscore lair uh i am not important so my dms are always open okay very nice well um i hope you remain safe and 
thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. This was absolutely beautiful. I recommend you guys go take the Springsteen's uh, Stephen King quiz. You will be uh, immensely entertained. And uh, hey, send Amanda and I, if you make other connections, we'd love to read them. Because, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that you guys connect the dots. That would uh, be incredible. Yes. All right. For now, listeners, please, please stay safe. Remember to distance. Uh, remember to wash your hands. Remember to wear a mask. And let's all be good to each other because that's the only way we're going to get through this. For now, take care and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.